I'm Aaron. I'm Chris's brother, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been away from drinking. I don't know. It was probably the day I had last seen Joey. It was right around the time we were doing taxes. I think it was. We were at a Callahan or Callahan's. Callahan, Callahan. We were at Callahan Income Tax Place, and yep, I think that was the very last day I quit drinking. I can't remember when I actually had a last drink, to be honest, but I know I'm still sober to this day. So, don't play for me now. Remember. Amen. Anybody else? Anyone else? Great. Come on down. Praise God. This might not be like a major one or anything, but I think whenever the Lord moves in my life, it feels major. So this, and I could testify forever about the things the Lord has done. But this last week, um, the Lord used wonderful people that he's placed in my life from this church, the wonderful relationships that I've established to speak words of encouragement, prayer, wisdom, um, and helped me in a rough spot in my marriage. And so I am forever grateful. Amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hi, I'm Stephanie Smith. Um, I head up my brother's keeper homeless shelter where once a month I and a group of amazing volunteers go downtown Flint and provide a warm, hot, home-cooked meal for the homeless men um, of Flint. And I just want to say how wonderful it feels that God has led me to this area, that I'm just so thankful that I am able to help other people and that God has gifted me with a church that has crazy generous hearts. Every month, month after month, I have volunteers to go down there. I get a little worried sometimes thinking everybody's not going to show up and then God shows up and everything works out. I'm just so excited you know, just get down there and show these men love and then show them that they are worthy and that their certain situation is not who they are and God loves them and God has planned for more. And I just want everyone here to know too that you are not your situation and God has so much more planned for you. So just open your heart to him and just just open your heart and let him work in your life. Amen. Praise God. Awesome. All right. This might be the whole service. Everyone keeps coming forward. I'll be fine with that. Come on. Praise God. Hi, my name is Tara. I'm visiting here today. Um, My husband was working, and I have three little ones, and we just didn't make it out the door in time to head all the way to Saginaw. Saw a sign and stopped in, and... um, This is pretty similar to what I'm used to, the smaller seedling churches that, um, you know, everybody is welcome. You don't have to feel judged or pressured or, you know. um, My husband and myself are both recovering alcoholics. He had um, some substance abuse issues, and last summer was a terribly, terribly dark time and place in our lives. We did not have a relationship with God, neither of us. I filed for divorce, and um, our lives were just completely and utterly shattered. Um, While we were separated, it was his custodial week, and he took me to Life Church with the kids. He just, I was in a really dark place, and he said, you know, why don't you just come with us? And I agreed, and God touched my heart that day. Amen. And um, my husband and I have both been sober since October 16th of last year. Praise God. Um, Praise God. Thank you. Yeah. Two months before our divorce was to be finalized, after attending Life Church with him and just really coming to faith and lightness in our lives and sobriety, we were able to reconcile and um, get our lives back together. And uh, we ended up getting back together and found our way over here to Clio. We just moved here this last summer from Millington and we're adjusting our lives here. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing here, and I'm glad to be here this morning. So thank you. Amen. Thank you. 
Wow. That's awesome. Thank you. Man, God must really be moving to have a first-time guest to give a testimony. That is, thank you so much. Thank you for that. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your mercy, for your power, for the power of the name of Jesus. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you that each and every one of us at one time in our lives were like the prodigal who ran away, but you didn't give up searching and you didn't give up hope, and you've always been ready to receive us back into yourself. So thank you, Lord, for just your unending love, your unfailing love. And I just pray now as we dive into your word, as we look at uh, just the message you've laid on my heart this, this week, God, that, that your spirit would be empowered, God, and that we would have an encounter with you. Lord, that you would raise up spirit-filled believers with the power to be your witnesses in this place. God, that no matter where we're from or where we're going, God, that we would be a great light, that we would take back the ground from the enemy that he's stolen through sin and temptation and brokenness and, and the evil in this world, God, and that we would claim it back for the kingdom of God, that we would see a great light come into our world, and that we would see revival happen in our city, God, revival where people's lives are being transformed and changed through the love of Christ. There are so many people who are hurting, who are confused, God, who are at the brink, and the only thing more powerful than any one of those situations is your amazing love. And so, God, we just, we just call on you today to be in this place, to fall on us, to let your glory be among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and thank you to all who shared what an amazing God that we serve uh, today in week seven of our series, again, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, and uh, the ministries and the gifts of the Spirit. And today we're going to discover that the Holy Spirit is God's oracle. God's oracle. Now, the definition of the word oracle, any quick Google search will tell you, is that it means it is a priest or priestess acting as a medium through whom advice or prophecy was sought from the gods in classical antiquity. In essence, an oracle in ancient times was the person that acted as the mediary or the go-between between the gods and the people. And so uh, as we're discovering this, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is our oracle, our mediary. Jesus, in John chapter 16, said, as he's instructing about when the Holy Spirit would come, that not only is he going to be our advocate, our counselor, he would also be our mediary. He would lead us into all truth, and he would even reveal the future to us. If you have your Bibles, you can um, open up to John chapter 16, verse 13 and 15. We're going to read these verses together. The verses will also be on the screen. As well, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can navigate to our live events page and capture the notes there and follow along. Uh, but uh, we're going to read John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15, and we're also going to cover many other scriptures this morning. But in John chapter 16, here's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. And so here Jesus is telling us that the Spirit does not act on his own will, but he relays whatever messages he's been told to by Jesus. The Spirit brings glory to Jesus Christ by acting as our mediator, our go-between between us and our Savior. The Spirit is our oracle. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus is our mediator between us and the Father. So Jesus is the mediator between us and the Father for forgiveness of sins, for uh, the salvation. It, but the Spirit is what mediates between us and 
Jesus. The Spirit is the one who reveals the deep and mysterious things of God, even the future. Paul, to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, here's what Paul says about the Spirit. He says, But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit, for His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Did you know that there are more secrets, more mysteries that can be revealed in your life than just what you read in Scripture? That there is a depth, there is a well of infinite knowledge, infinite mystery, infinite uh, secrets that the Holy Spirit searches out and is willing and desires to reveal to us. What that means to us is that there is more to learn about God, there is more to appreciate about God, and there's more to love about God than simply just what we can understand by reading the text. It is the Spirit that not only brings life to the Word of God, but it is also the Spirit that gives revelation in our lives. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit reveals the mysteries of God, reveals these deep secrets, how He reveals what's in the Father's heart, is through the prophetic gifts. Again, we've been talking over the course of the several weeks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're things that he gives the church to build up and strengthen the church in the way in which he reveals the heart and mind of God, the deep secrets, is through the prophetic gift. And so as we talk about the gift of prophecy today, this, this prophetic gift, I want to look at just a couple of thoughts about the gift of prophecy Because prophecy is the way in which the Holy Spirit acts as our oracle. Paul, to the church of Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, begins to kind of describe or or talk about the gift of prophecy. The first thing I want to show you is that prophecy is for everyone. The gift of prophecy is for everyone. Paul, to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 14, He says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Now, God, through the Apostle Paul, would not tell us to desire something that was not available to us. He's not going to tell us, yeah, desire this, but I'm never going to give it to you. That is a mean and vindictive God, and our God is not like that. Our God is a loving and generous God. He desires to have relationship with us, to work in and through us. So we are to desire this gift of prophecy. The word prophecy in the original language that the the apostles wrote in, the, the Greek language, means to prophesy or to be a prophet, to speak forth by divine inspirations or to predict. So though the Holy Spirit is the oracle of God to us, he is God's oracle, one of the gifts of the Spirit available to the church is this gift of prophecy, and it's a gift that turns the believer, the follower of Christ, into the oracle of the Holy Spirit. So Christ is our oracle, is our mediary between us and the Father. The Spirit is our mediary between us and Christ, and we then become the mediary between the world and the Spirit. And though the Spirit is, again, God's oracle to us, this gift of prophecy turns us into the Spirit's oracle. And the gift is not only profitable to encourage and strengthen the church like the other gifts, but it is also profitable to minister to those who are also far from God, those who do not believe. In 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25, Paul the Apostle says, But if all of you are prophesying, talking about the church gathering when we gather together, it says, if you're all prophesying and an unbeliever or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin, judged by what you say. And as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed. They will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. That is a powerful statement about this gift of prophecy. It reveals that not only does the Spirit reveal the innermost workings of God's heart, but He also reveals the innermost secrets of our own hearts. And when those secrets are revealed, it's not to shame or condemn, but it's to expose that person to the knowledge that God knows you more intimately than you know yourself. 
and he loves you and desires good for you. This gift of prophecy is a powerful tool for the witness of Christ because it provides an undeniable encounter with God to the person who does not believe. That when their secret thoughts are exposed, they'll be overwhelmed with the truth of who God is, what God has done, and they will turn around and worship the Lord. It's a powerful, powerful gift. Prophecy helps us to know that God is not distant, but he is ever so close. Have you ever felt like God is distant sometimes? Like you pray and maybe he's not listening or you just go through a dry season spiritually? I think we all have it sometimes. How amazing would it be for God to speak through another believer to reveal to you, hey, I've not gone anywhere. I'm right here. I know your situation and I know how to lead you through it. Just hold on and hang tight. He helps us understand through the gift of prophecy, what his heart is for us. He not only relates what we're going through, but also his future plans for our lives. And God also, through this gift of prophecy, can give us personal promises that we can cling to to help sustain us through difficult seasons, to help keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Those times where it seems like a spiritual desert or a spiritual drought, it can be hard to hang on to the faith. To, to, we begin to question, is this Christian life worth it? Is it, is it true? Is, it, is this worth me battling like this each and every day? And a simple word of prophecy can spark courage and hope and comfort to the person who is struggling with their faith. There are many powerful benefits to this gift, which is why Paul said, though all the gifts are important, all are necessary and beneficial, prophecy, if any at all, should be the one we pursue the most. When the church of Jesus Christ is filled with the Spirit of God, they become oracles of God to the world, not only testifying about what Jesus has done and can confirm the truth in the deep regions of a person's soul, but they can also touch a place that only God can search, that only God can encounter. This gifting, this gift of prophecy also though it's for everyone, it has a history many thousands of years in the making. This gift of prophecy is the fulfillment of an Old Testament promise that many hoped would see in their day. If we go back to the Old Testament, the time the nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, they were in Egypt for 400 years. God miraculously delivers them from Egypt and then they begin to wander the desert. And just like we do as we wander the desert of life, sometimes we can feel like the strain or the trouble or the trial is overwhelming and the nation of Israel begin to grumble and complain. We don't do that, do we? We don't grumble and complain. We've never whined to God. It's like, God, why? Why do I got to go through this? <laughs> no, we don't do that. We're so much more spiritual. But they began to grumble and complain. I mean, God was giving them manna from heaven, like this honey bread. I mean, how awesome is that? You just wake up and there's like donuts all over the floor. I mean, I mean that is like the most perfect thing ever. You know, they, they get free donuts from God. You know, that had to be the best. You know, Don Donuts eat your heart out, right? But, but it's just what it was. And they had water that would come from a rock. There's no water anywhere else. They would speak to the rock. Water would just flow out. They'd have fresh water, all they could drink. You know, a couple million people in this group, and they all had their fill. What more could you ask for? Well, they thought of something. They wanted meat. It wasn't enough they had donuts. They wanted a steak too. You know, they, were, they wanted a meat. So they started complaining, God, where's the meat? I mean, we should go back to Egypt where we don't get donuts every morning, where we don't get fresh water. We'll just go back to being slaves because at least there we could have some meat. I don't know what goes through their mind, but we get kind of crazy when we start whining and complaining too. When we take our blessings for granted and we don't really appreciate what God has and is doing in our lives. But this is where they were. So they're in the desert. They're complaining. They're asking for meat. And Moses goes to God and says, God, they have a complaint. And God desire, uh, uh, decides to answer their request. In Numbers eleven sixteen through 29, here's the story as it pertains to this gift of prophecy. It's surrounded this whining and complaining of the nation of Israel in the desert. But it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. 
I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also, and they will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. And say to the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. And I could hear some people saying, amen, you know. (laughs) You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried, oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. And it won't be just for a day or two or for five or ten or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you have whined to him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? You know, sometimes God gives you what you ask for to help you realize what you really need. You know, sometimes we ask and ask and ask, God, this is what I want. But sometimes he says, I don't think you want that. And we say, no, God, this is what I want. And he says, okay, here you go. He gives you what you ask for so you can realize what you really need. Verse 20, he says, you will eat it for a whole month until you're gagging or sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. You have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses responded to the Lord, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. And yet you say, I will give them meat for a whole month. Even if we butchered all of our flocks and herds, would that even satisfy? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. So Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. And then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they, what's that word? Prophesied. But this never happened again. Two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. So we have two guys that were supposed to be with the group, but they were in disobedience. They didn't go. Yet the Spirit rested on them as well. So they prophesied there in the camp. And a young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. So he was upset that these two guys were prophesying. They didn't come to gather with the rest of them, but yet they were getting the gift of the Spirit as well. And here's Moses' reply. He says, but Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Moses was the oracle of God to the nation of Israel and he bore the entire burden of the spiritual condition of this nation himself. And here at this moment where God had taken some of the spirit off of him and placed it on these other men, his response wasn't, God, what are you doing? You're, you're taking my job. You're taking my position. You're, you're, you're reducing me and building these other people up who are grumbling and complaining about meat. What are you doing? No, that wasn't his response. His response was, I wish that everyone were prophets. I wish everyone would prophesy. And the question is, why would Moses say that? Why would that be his heart? I believe it's because Moses knew that if everyone was as connected to God as he was, then things in the nation would be completely different. That if everyone was so connected to God that they were seeing God face to face and hearing God voice to voice, there would be a change in their spiritual condition. The people would become a shining beacon of light, glorifying God, not grumbling about meat. The presence of God would descend and the glory of his countenance would fill their lives. It would change things. And I believe the same is true for us. If we all were prophets, that would change things. That would change a great many things. And the prophet Joel, many years later, over a thousand years later, would receive a vision from God about the end times just before the, the end of the world and God would send up his, set up his eternal kingdom, he prophesied something very specific in Joel 2, 28 through 29. Here's what God says to the prophet. He says, then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will what? 
prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. You see, God had a plan. Moses didn't have a burden for all the people to prophesy just because. God had put this burden in his heart and God had a plan to bring Moses' heart's desire to fruition that all would be prophets, that all of God's people would be so connected that they would walk in his presence just as Moses did. And God prophesied through Joel that one day would come where his spirit would be poured out on all and that they would prophesy. And God fulfilled this promise on the day of Pentecost. Peter confirms this very truth in his powerful message to the people as the Spirit of God is poured out with the fire and the tongues. In Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, here's what the scriptures record. Peter's preaching, he's speaking, he says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So Moses' dream, Moses' desire, his dreams of the day that God's people would be prophets, Joel's prophecy of the day when all God's people would become prophets, happens here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, and Peter confirms that the day had come where all of God's people would become prophets. And note that this gift of prophecy is not for a select group. It's not just for the super apostles. It's not just for men. It's not just for women. It is for men and women alike, for people all from all walks of life, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. One of the gifts you see manifest when the Holy Spirit baptizes a believer is not just speaking in tongues, it's also prophecy. It's God's will that all who receive the Spirit would and will prophesy. It is God's will that each of us become oracles of God, beacons of hope, and revealers of his glory to a dark and lost world. The gift of prophecy is for everyone. Number two, the second thought is that there are many variations of this prophetic gift. There are many variations, many ways in which this gift comes to fruition. And some of you may have experienced this without even realizing you're experiencing what you're experiencing. So we're going to talk about some of the variations. The first thing I want to talk about is words of knowledge. Paul speaks of words of knowledge in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A word of knowledge is simply the receiving of information either through the voice of the Spirit speaking to you or through a vision or an impression that reveals the truth about a person or a situation. It's receiving information you didn't know previously. And we can see this in Scripture, in the life of Christ and even the disciples. If we look at John chapter 1, Jesus is going around recruiting his disciples for his ministry. And he's hanging out at this house and sends Philip out to uh, go you know, recruit some uh, other people. And Philip goes to the house of Nathaniel and begins to have this conversation about Nathaniel, telling him, hey, I've met the Messiah. He's from Galilee. Come and check this dude out. And Nathaniel responds, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from that hometown? How could the Messiah come from the, the, you know, the Nazareth, that hometown? And Philip says, dude, just come and see. Just come and see. And you know what, church? Sometimes it's that easy to get people to come to Jesus. You just tell them, hey, come and see. Come with your doubts. Come with your skepticism. Just come and see. And Jesus makes the difference. So Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And in John chapter 1, verses 47 through 49, Jesus has an encounter with Nathanael. And here's what Jesus says. It says, as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Nathanael responds, how do you know this about me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. A couple of things. The first thing is Jesus was given a word of knowledge about the character of this man. He, know the, he knew the character of this man without ever meeting him ever before. You ever feel like sometimes you just know something about somebody when you meet them? That, that you just meet, man, this, this person, man, this is a good person. 
I mean, I can just sense that, that there is a knowing that this is a good person, or maybe this person's a freak. I'm getting out of here, you know? I mean, it's just, we, we have these knowing, this knowledge, this understanding. You know, it can come in that way. Then also Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip found you. He had a vision of something that was actually happening in the world at the time Philip went and found Nathaniel. And just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, that when an unbeliever encounters a prophetic word, they will be convicted in their heart and give glory to God. Nathaniel recognizes that this guy that is prophesying to me is not just a regular guy. This must be the Messiah. He turns and says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. He begins to worship Jesus just because of a word of knowledge. In Acts chapter five, verses one through six, after Jesus ascends to heaven and the church begins to unleash in the world, uh, they're beginning to collect uh, offerings to help meet the needs of the poor and impoverished in the early church. Many of them lost their homes, their families. They were exiled. They were run out of town because of converting to Christianity from Judaism. And several of them, you read in Acts chapter 2, were selling properties and giving the money to the church to help take care of the needs of other people. And in Acts chapter 5, they were collecting these offerings, and there was a, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, that decided to sell a piece of property, but rather than giving all of the proceeds of the property like they promised, they decided to keep some back, but yet still tell people that they were giving all the money. They were being dishonest. And here we see the encounter that Ananias has with Peter. It says, there was a certain man named Ananias in Acts chapter 5 with his wife Sapphira who sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You aren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified. And then some of the young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. So Peter, not knowing anything that happened behind the scene, is given a word of knowledge by the Holy Spirit about what Ananias and Sapphira were doing, this, this cockamamie scheme to act religious and look spiritual, but yet still be selfish. In both of these instances, with Jesus and with Peter, they were given words of knowledge by the Holy Spirit, information they would have never been able to know simply by an educated guess. And it's because the Spirit of God gives special knowledge to achieve the purposes of God. For one, in the case of Nathaniel, it was to reveal God's glory to an unbeliever and solidify Nathaniel's purpose and calling as an apostle and follower of Jesus Christ. The second one was to reveal deceit, a spiritual stronghold in this man's life, and stand as a warning to the church about following the devil's schemes. And to make this practical, uh, as I, I've shared over the course of this series, I too have had some personal experiences with words of knowledge during times of ministry and prayer. And, and sometimes it can be a little jarring when you recognize what's happening, uh, but the peace of God overcomes any type of uncomfortable uh, feeling or emotion. But sometimes words of knowledge can come simply like a whisper in your mind. As you're talking with somebody, you receive a whisper of the Holy Spirit in your mind. Other times, it was like a flashback where I could literally feel the emotion of what was happening in the situation that I was completely disconnected from. Uh, someone was in a moment of pain, and I could feel that pain. And everything the Spirit was giving me was to reveal specific things about the situation to help this person in uh, the ministry for them. Um, the Spirit will give this information to, to aid in ministry to help other people, to uh, encourage them by sharing the Father's heart for them. It, there are times where I just feel like God is saying, you need to tell them they are loved, they have a purpose, that they are, they're feeling insecure, or maybe their father was very critical and they have low self-worth. You need to speak the worth of the Father over their heart. And other times they'll uh, give us words of knowledge to lead us to a breakthrough in whatever stronghold they're struggling with at the point. Moment. Maybe they're under some oppression and uh, can't seem to break away 
away from some of these bad habits or emotional dysfunctions. And so there have been times where we've been given uh, words of knowledge specifically of things to pray for, at other times just giving us information to aid in uh, our ministry team on how to help people in their situation. Either way, these are things that happen on a regular occurrence if you seek the Spirit and make yourself available to be used by the Holy Spirit. So words of knowledge. The second is visions and dreams. Visions and dreams. And many revelations of prophecy in the Scripture that we can see are given through visions and dreams. And these dreams reveal the truths that God wants uh, the church corporately or really people individually to know and understand. And we can look all through Scripture. Uh, a man named Ananias in Acts chapter 9 receives a vision of Jesus, and Jesus tells him to go to where Paul the apostle was when he was still known as Saul and had been stri stricken blind, and he sends him there to heal him. In Acts chapter 10, Peter receives a vision of this sheet coming down from heaven and all these animals and, and food that, that are in the sheet, and God uses that to illustrate a heart condition in Peter to prepare him for a ministry opportunity that he had coming up. In Acts chapter 16, Paul receives a vision of a man begging him to come to Macedonia to preach there, and he goes and ends up starting revival in the Macedonian territory. John in the book of Revelation, writes the entire book of Revelation, the apocalypse, the revelation of the end of time because of a vision that Christ had given him when he called him into the spirit and revealed the things to come. There are many times that God will work through visions and dreams. And as Jesus instructed us, part of what the spirit does, it is he tells us about the future. He tells us through dreams and visions about the future so God can prepare us for things to come. And in each and every instance, God gives a vision to communicate a truth that advances his purposes, that gives him glory, and revolutionizes the faith of the people that are impacted by it. And at times, I've received uh, visions of the future as well. There have been several occurrences, um, but they're fewer and far between in my experience. Since I recognize being baptized in the Holy Spirit, there, there are glimpses into the future, visions of the future, words of knowledge about the future. Uh, one time, I even saw a vision of Christ confirming a ministry call on a ministry for my wife and I and a calling on our lives. And uh, both my wife and I have received uh, visions and, and words of knowledge about uh, this ministry at Vertical Life Church. Uh, there, there are promises that God has given us that we hold on to, especially when we go through seasons of discouragement and struggle. These words have sustained us in and through some very discouraging times. But I know because God spoke them that they will come to pass. I know the promises of God will never fail. They will happen in his perfect timing. One of the words that I received in, in a time of prayer with God, a vision that he gave us was that within just a few short years, we'd be at multiple services reaching many, many people with the gospel. Uh, he confirmed the same vision with my wife when he told her he was going to fill this auditorium. You know, we could look around and say, where are all the people? And I would say, God just hasn't brought them yet, but they're coming. Prepare for it. They're coming. Because God has spoken it, we believe it, and that's it. That's what we move forward. So these words give us hope, especially when we're under attacks of discouragement. This is what the gifts of the Spirit for, are for, to encourage and strengthen the church. And the third area of prophecy I want to touch on this morning and I want to address is really in the area of worship, in the area of worship. And when we gather together and we sing songs, that seems like just something that churches do, right? You get together and you sing, and then a guy speaks for probably too long, and then you leave and you go to lunch. That's kind of like the Christian church experience. But there's something powerful that actually happens in the worship or in the, the singing portion of the service that you can miss if your heart's not attuned to it. There's a prophetic nature to our worship, and many people overlook it or miss it because they're either not engaged with their heart or their minds are too busy being preoccupied with something else that they miss it. But look at what Jesus says in Luke 24, 44. Jesus says this. He says, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, that's essentially the rest of the Bible, uh, Old Testament, and in the what? 
The Psalms must be fulfilled. The book of Psalms is the worship manual of the Bible. It is in the center of the Bible. I don't know how it got placed there, but it's in the center. It has the most chapters, and it's all about the worship and glory of God. Praise the Lord. With everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And what many of us fail to realize or do not understand is that the book of Psalms is filled with many prophetic words. There are multiple Psalms that prophesy of the Lord, his coming, the manner of his death, the manner of his resurrection. There are many prophetic words that are uttered in the book of Psalms. This is an area of prophetic gifting in the prophecy, an area that prophecy makes its way into our time of worship corporately because God works and moves in and through our worship. In uh, King David when David was hiring musicians for the temple, he didn't get to build the temple, but he, his son got to build the temple. But Dave kind of set his son up. He got all the musicians, all the stuff ready to go. But when David was hiring musicians, he chose a specific man to be in charge of uh, the, the chief of the musicians, to be uh, the main song director. And here's what the Bible records about this guy. In First Chronicles 15, 22, it says, Kenaniah chief of the Levites, was for song. And he instructed about the song because he was skillful. Now, at first reading in the English, we would say, okay, this guy was an interesting musician. He was a talented, skillful, probably knew a couple instruments, could sing on pitch. You know, as the way church goes, the person that sings on pitch and plays an instrument usually becomes the music director. So this is, you know, probably what David was looking for. But here, the word song in the Old Testament is the word masa. And here, that word song can also be translated as burden, utterance, oracle, or prophecy. So there is a prophetic nature to what this guy did when he was leading worship, when he was engaged in music. There was a prophetic nature in his worship. And not only was he a talented and skillful musician, but he was also able to help lead and or teach prophetic worship amongst the other people, which is why he was chosen. And the thing about our worship service, when we sing and when we praise, in Psalm 22, verse 3, the psalmist writes, yet you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. God is holy. But what happens when we sing, when we sing from our hearts in spirit and in truth, when we engage our soul, everything we are into our music, into our singing, the presence of God enthrones itself in our worship. God's presence falls. We will say things like, God, we just want you to move in our services. God, fill this place with your spirit. This happens when we are singing and we are worshiping and our hearts will miss it. We'll miss it if our hearts are not connected because God is a spirit and he moves in spirit. Jesus said, if we're gonna worship, it must be in spirit and in truth. So when we're worshiping in spirit with everything we are, when our hearts are connected and we're desiring to encounter the praises and presence of God, God's presence will fall. His spirit will move and we will be drawn into his glory. It's prophetic. God will speak. God will move in your heart. God will confirm a truth. God will engage you on a personal and deep level if you have a connected heart. And often what happens, at least on stage, when we're worshiping is God may lay a word on our hearts to speak. Like many times my wife will say something or I will say something totally unscripted. It's because God is moving and giving us a word to speak over the church in that moment. And sometimes he reveals that there's a person struggling with a particular issue. Like you've come in and, and there's just something hanging on or there's something you've been battling and God wants to speak into your life. He wants to reveal his presence to you. He wants to address that and he doesn't want you to miss out on what he wants to do in and through the song we're getting ready to sing or maybe the one we're currently singing. Because when we sing with our hearts and God's presence is moving, there is healing and breakthrough and it is prepared for you if you're ready to receive it. Engaging with your heart. If your heart is open to the Lord. Our worship service, our singing, our praise is a two-way conversation. We lift our songs up and the presence of God falls down. And in his presence, there is powerful things that happen.
There are miracles that happen in his presence, in the glory of God. Sometimes a prophetic nature will erupt in a spontaneous song. Sometimes there would just be a song that will come up and we'll sing, not even something we've rehearsed. We're just singing from our hearts. Other times we're speaking into a breakthrough into somebody's life. But our worship is prophetic. And you can encounter God in the prophetic level by opening and engaging your heart every time you gather with his church. Now, as we begin to to close, there really, as we've been going through this series, I've been sharing kind of my testimony and how this has been a journey for me that I used to not really believe in the gifts of the Spirit and was kind of opposed to uh, this belief and, and this way of thinking. And if you haven't been following with us, you can catch all of our messages in the series online on our website and kind of hear the testimony of where we've come from. But with every doctrinal belief, with every church, there seems to be objections to different belief systems. And there are objections to whether or not the gifts of the Spirit are alive and well today or even apply today. And just as we talked last week about the healing and even the week before about tongues, there are objections to the gift of prophecy. And the most common objection to the gift of prophecy and how people who believe in the prophetic or walk in the prophetic are considered to be false prophets is simply the argument that says that if anyone ever uh, prophesies something inaccurately is a false prophet. And that comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if someone prophesied something inaccurately, they would be put to death as a false prophet. And so many carry that understanding into the New Testament era and say, if anyone prophesies inaccurately, they are a false prophet and therefore they should be rejected. The difficulty is, is that is putting an Old Testament argument on a New Testament experience and the two are not compatible. In the Old Testament, there were only some prophets. There was Moses and no one else. There was Elijah and no one else in his region. There are, God raised up specific men and women at certain times to be prophets and rulers over the nation. In the New Testament, everyone can prophesy. It's different. In the Old Testament, God spoke plainly and without riddles. And in the New Testament, Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. We don't have full knowledge. There's an interpretation that needs to uh, be unleashed, that we, uh, again, need to fan our gifts into flame. And as our faith grows, our understanding grows, the strength of our gifts will also grow. That we need to learn to walk in the Spirit and walk in our gifts. It's not the same as what happened in the Old Testament. And more importantly, we can see through the Scriptures, even in, in the New Testament, that the expectation for a New Testament prophet or the gift of prophecy is not for perfect prophecies. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, Paul says this. He says, let two or three prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. Now, the key word is evaluate. Why would he say evaluate, which means to judge, discern, to determine? Why would Paul say that men and women need to prophesy, but then others need to evaluate what is said? Why would prophecy need to be evaluated? The answer is, is to determine whether the word spoken is in agreement with the word of God. Is to determine whether or not it is accurate, whether it is uh, in a line with what we already understand. Does this word encourage or does it tear down? Is it spoken in love from the Father's heart? Does it align with the truth that we already understand from Scripture and what we know about God? These are the things we need to evaluate. And you see there's a difference between interpretation and translation. There's a difference between interpretation and translation. When you try to translate something, did, did any of you take Spanish in high school or, or foreign language? In my high school, we had to take at least two semesters of Spanish or foreign language. I took the two. I can't even remember. I think La Leche is all I remember, and I think that comes from um, one of the Shrek movies with uh, Puss in Boots. I think that's Milk. He's like, ooh, that's some good leche. You know what I mean? Um, that's like all I remember. I think El Baño is the bathroom, but my, my uh, accent's probably horrible, so it's probably not even what I'm saying. But um, uh, when you are translating, when you're going from one language to another, it's not usually word for word. There's nuances and things that you have to take into consideration when translating a, a, another language. The same is true when you translate a prophetic word or something from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit places something on your heart to say. 
He places, he gives you a vision and, and you see the dream and the best that you have to your knowledge, the best of your ability, you try to communicate what is being revealed, what is being said without um, the, you know, the error or without making a mistake, but it's not without the potential for human error. And I'll give you an example. You ever have one of those situations where uh, like uh, maybe you have a kid or you, you, you and your friend are out doing something and there, something really funny happens. And it's just like, man, you're just uproaring, you're laughing, you're busting a gut. And then you go to another situation and you want to tell somebody about it. And as you're explaining, like the expression on their face doesn't change. And you're like, well, this is really funny to me. It's like, maybe, maybe and then we say, maybe you should have what? Been there. Maybe you should have been there, right? Because the experience was way more impactful than what you're trying to communicate. And often, this is what happens. I remember the first time God spoke to me and I heard his voice. It was when he was calling us to Michigan. And I was driving in the car just praying, God, is this what you want us to do? Is this where you want us to go? And all he said was, you are going. That's it. So simple. But when he said it, it echoed in my soul. And I knew what he was telling me was not only are you going, but I have got this plan for you. You're, you're, going, you're beginning this journey. And God, I'm going to do miracles. We're, you're going to see some crazy things happen. And I knew that there was so much more than you're going to Michigan is what he was communicating. But it's hard to put into words what he was actually saying because it's more of a feeling and an understanding and a knowing than it is something you can articulate in words. And this is how the gift of prophecy often happens when you receive a word from God or have a vision or a dream. It's like playing the telephone game. What starts off is, I like pepperoni pizza. Sounds like so-and-so missed the Kleenex when they sneeze. I don't, you know, I mean, just, I don't know, you know, how, how it ends up like that, but it, sometimes it happens that way. So this is similar to the gift of prophecy. But we can look right in Scripture, an example of this, with the prophet Agabus. There is a New Testament believer named Agabus who is known as a prophet, and he even prophesied about a famine coming to Jerusalem that enabled the church to take action. They took up a collection. They sent money to the, those early believers and enabled them to survive this famine. So he was known as a great prophet in the early church. However, in chapter 21 of Acts, he doesn't prophesy so accurately. In chapter 21, he says this, several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, bound his belt with his own feet and hands with it, and then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and be turned over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So the, the prophet predicted to Paul, look, if you go to Jerusalem, something bad's going to happen. You're going to be bound by the Jews. You're going to be turned over to the Gentiles to be killed. And it caused fear among the people. But look what actually happened. We're just going to read the account of what actually took place when Paul went to Jerusalem. In verse 26, it says, so Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and the sacrifices would be offered for each of them. Then seven days were almost ended when the, some of the Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple, roused a mob against him. They grabbed him ye yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple, even defies this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations. A great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him and they were trying to kill him. Word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out to his soldiers and officers, ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered Paul to be taken to the fortress. So, was Paul arrested? Yes. But not the way Agabus had prophesied it would happen. Agabus' prophet uh, precisely predicted Paul would be arrested and sent to prison, but he was wrong 
about who would actually do the arresting. He prophesied the Jews would arrest him, not the Romans. The Jews would arrest him and turn him over to the Romans, but that's not what happened. The Jews were trying to kill him. If the Romans hadn't have shown up, he would have died. The Romans arrested him only to save his life. And so nowhere in Scripture, you can read from cover to cover, do we see Agabus accused of being a false prophet because he got some of the details wrong. No, what actually mattered was the warning that Paul experienced, that he would experience persecution, that he would be imprisoned. And though Agabus saw this vision of Paul as a warning to keep Paul from going to Jerusalem, Paul was actually given other direction earlier from the Holy Spirit. In Acts 20, 22, and 23, this Paul says, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me to, in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So what happened here is Agabus received this revelation. He, he received a true revelation from God, but he got some of the facts, even the interpretation of this vision wrong. And it's in my opinion that it was due to the emotional connection that he had with Paul. He didn't want to see his friend jailed. He didn't want to see his friend in pain. He didn't want to see his friend led to certain death. And so he was interpreting this vision through this lens of his own perceptions and emotions. And though he thought this vision was a warning to keep Paul from going to Jerusalem, Paul had already received a word from the Spirit that he was supposed to go. So it wasn't a warning to keep Paul from Jerusalem. It was a confirmation to Paul about what was going to happen. So Agabus gets the interpretation wrong and a few of the details wrong, but he does not get the circumstance wrong. And what this says to us is that in a New Testament understanding of the gift of prophecy is that we cannot allow the errors of some well-intentioned believers in Christ to cause us to dismiss the gift altogether. There's a potential for error. We're imperfect people. Because if we dismiss the gift because of a potential for error, we might miss out on some powerful experiences and encounters that the Spirit of God desires to give us. Some confirmations of things that we've been praying for or, or information or insight in things that we've been praying for. We might miss out on the encouragement to our faith that is intended through this gift that will enable us to move the work of Christ forward. And Paul even goes as far to say to tell the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. And this is one of the verses that made a big impact on my life as I was studying really what the Bible said about the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, here's what Paul says. He says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. When you begin to really break down this verse, what he's telling us is that the Holy Spirit is at work and he desires to do more in your life than the limits of our faith will allow. Do not stifle the Spirit. The first thing I see here is that we are not to stifle the Spirit's work. Do not put invisible walls up in your heart that prevent your faith from growing and from the Spirit from doing powerful things in your life. Don't close down the Spirit's work in your life. The second thing he says is do not scoff at prophecies. This word scoff means to despise or to make of no account. In other words, do not dismiss the prophetic words of another believer in your life because they will stand as promises to cling to in confirmation to the cries of your heart. Do not dismiss them. Do not dismiss them, but you should embrace them. The last thing he says is test everything that is good. Test everything that is set. Try the word by scripture. Does it line up with what we know? Is it encouraging? Is it in love? Does it agree to the fundamentals of the faith? Does it agree with what you know God has already spoken in your life? God has poured out his spirit on the church so that all could, can, and will prophesy. And now is the time for the church of Jesus Christ to set their faith free and walk in the prophetic gifts. 
And my question for you today is, are you listening for the Spirit's voice? Are you listening? Is your heart open to the leading of the Holy Spirit to hear from God? And are you ready to be obedient to what he wants you to do? Let's bow our heads for prayer for just a few moments as we go into a time of prayer. Many are here today that maybe were like me, and this has been just a journey where we're not quite sure what to believe. We've been taught a certain way our whole life, but now as we're beginning to allow the Spirit to work and move and just let the Scripture teach us, let the Spirit reveal to us through Scripture what is true, that some of this might be just a leap of faith in many ways. Will you commit today to trust in the Lord? Will you commit today to allow the Spirit to begin to work? Will you choose today to stop stifling the Spirit, but to be led and to walk in the Spirit? Because God wants to speak. He wants to speak to you, and He wants to speak through you. And right now, I just feel an impression on my heart that there's someone here today that has never truly given their life to Christ. You know that God is a God of love. You've been to church, you've heard the songs, but there's never been a moment in your life where you said, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior. I'm yours now and forever. You've never given your life really to Christ. And you can look back on your life and see how you've tried to be the God of your own life. Make your own decisions, your own plans, fight for what you wanted. But your life has just ended up in a huge mess. And now you're in a confused state where you're not really sure what you need to decide, what you want to do with your life. You've got some ideas, but you're just not sure what your purpose is. I'm here to tell you your purpose is to glorify God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God wants to revolutionize your life. He wants you to be overwhelmed in his love and his peace. He wants to show you your true purpose. He wants to show you this purpose, but it begins with making that first step, that first step to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you here today, you're the one who needs to trust in Christ. The Bible says if you confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right now in the quietness of this moment, I just invite you to pray this with me. Right now, take, take this time, take this opportunity to receive a new life and say, Father in heaven, forgive me of my sins. I renounce my sinful ways and I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe he died for me and I believe he rose from the dead. Fill me with your spirit and empower me to live for you now and forever. Thank you, Lord, for loving me and for choosing today to be the day I receive new life and begin a relationship with you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. With all heads bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, in the quiet of this moment, if that was you here today, if you prayed that prayer, if you trusted in Jesus, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Joey, that was me. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. I just want to pray for you and say, Pastor Joey, that was me. I prayed to receive Christ. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, I just pray for those that raise their hands today. God, I pray and speak into their life a confirmation that your word is true, that when we trust in Christ, when we confess him as Lord and Savior, we are saved, that now and forever there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old is past and new has begun. God, I call forth their identity in Christ. God, I just speak a baptism of the Holy Spirit to fall on them now in the name of Jesus, that your mighty wind would blow on their lives, God, that they'd be overwhelmed and just just filled up with your love and your presence now that the gifts would arise God they become a shining light and a beacon of hope a strong witness with the gospel of Christ God we just call forth your anointing on their lives now in the name of Jesus and I'm so thankful to be a part of a ministry where we can experience life change happen right before our lives 
Now, God, for the next few moments, as the music is playing and we enter this time of prayer, God, I pray that you draw every heart. I pray, God, that you would work in every life. I pray your anointing for healing would fall. Your anointing for prophetic words would fall. And God, that you would work in power in our church now in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're just going to go into just a time of response. Maybe you have a prayer need. There's something that you've been dealing with. Maybe there's marriage issues or health issues and you'd like to come forward for prayer. My wife and I will be down here. Maybe God, through this message series, has placed a word on your heart. He's saying, this is what I need the church to hear, to know, to be encouraged. The microphone is down here. You're welcome to come and declare that. But for the next few moments, we're just going to go into a time of prayer, and then we'll receive our offering and be dismissed. But as the Holy Spirit is working in your life and in your heart, you come forward and you respond.